This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Uh, hey, everyone. Just a reminder to tell Joe's mom she looks like she lost weight because I accidentally parked on the grass again. Hey, guys. Mics are hot. Quiet on the set. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Hey there, stackers. Joe's mom's crazy calendar says it's National Blah 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 Day, which is perfect because, uh, I mean, well, geez, have you listened to the show even once? Here to blah, blah, blah about the perfect topic for those of us sitting at home thinking about more. How about some blah, blah, blah about less being more? Today, to tackle that, we welcome a guy who thinks about it all the time. The host of the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, our great neighbor, Andy Hill. And from the Afford Anything podcast, it's the ever-so-healthy Paula Pant. And the guy with the biggest blahs in the world of blah, 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 from LenPenzo.com. It's the teacher from the Peanuts cartoon. Nah, we'll just stick with Len Penzo. Also, on our Friday FinTech segment, we'll talk to a guy sitting at the backbone of some of the hottest new tech hitting your wallet and the merchants you'll someday shop with again. From D-Bold, Nixdorf, it's Devin Watson. And now, the guy that can blah, blah, blah all this away, except now with a mask, it's Joe Saul Sihai. It's amazing. When I was seven, I always wanted to wear a mask, and now I get to do it. It only took me a few more years, but sadly, we are at that point. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another quarantine edition of the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And coming to us today from his bunker deep under Los Angeles, blah, blah, blah. It's Mr. Blah, blah, blah himself, Len Penzo. The safest place in Southern California. Joe, how are you? It's, it's about time, isn't it? That it's finally paying off. I am finally getting my money's worth of this thing. It is awesome. Now, how are all those MREs holding up four weeks in? They're, they're okay. You know, I mix it up, though. I don't just do straight MREs, right? Because that, that'll get you constipated really fast. <laughs> so you got to mix it up. You got to do the freeze-dried. You got to do the MREs. You got to do a little bit of the canned food. Got to mix it up. Diversification, just like with your investments. Diversification for the non-constipated win. 
Correct. Yes. Especially with the toilet paper shortage, you know, to get the a, abs- I guess maybe that's a good thing, right? With the toilet paper. Absolutely. And the guy whose house will run to down the street. If I run out of toilet paper from marriage, kids and money, it's Andy Hill. Thank you so much for having me here. This is a lot of fun. Yes. If you need some toilet paper, Joe, you are just a hop skipping away to, to come on over. No problem. Andy's he's going to put it out in the front door. I'll show up. What, how long does, can coronavirus last on plastic? What do they say? So a couple hours later. I will douse that toilet paper in a Clorox wipe so it'll, it'll just be too completely clean. It might be a little messy on your side, but it's going to be clean. We've, we've got a plan. So for the four people that don't know about marriage, kids, and money, tell us the awesome stuff that goes on there, Mr. Hill. Yes, I have a weekly podcast called Marriage, Kids, and Money. I've been doing it for a while. I invite uh, young families who are looking to build their wealth and thrive to tell us all about how they did that. Financially independent couples, young millionaires, and we dissect that, and then we share that with the audience so they can all thrive. So, yeah, we're we're having a lot of fun there, man. The discussions that you have with people, I especially like a lot of the debt payoff stuff that you do. People that, uh, well, you just had on a couple from your community who paid off their mortgage early and just some cool, if you're looking for inspiration, it's a great place to hang out. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. We bring on people who are, who have been listening to the show for a couple of years and they want to share their big win of paying off their mortgage early and how that has affected their family and what they're able to do with that money now, uh, now that they're completely debt free. So we have a lot of fun talking about that. And speaking of inspiration, the woman who we're just happy that she's alive coming to us, I think from Las Vegas, unless she's out partying again, from afford anything believe it or not we've got paula pant here i'm alive i'm alive i've made it i've lived to record another stacking benjamins episode that actually happened and for people that don't that don't know that but, but so behind the scenes initially when i wrote to you which we've written a few times during the roller coaster you've had the last few weeks you were like nope don't think i can do it and then at the last minute you're like i'm in yeah Last week, like I was at a point, so so for anyone who doesn't know, I tested positive for COVID-19, tested positive for coronavirus. Which she thought and- was going to be the <laughs> funnest thing ever. Like oh if you could, go- if you could be positive, everybody always said Paula was a positive person and she took it too far. <laughs> exactly. I'm such a positive person. I just <laughs> test positive. Uh, and so, yeah, for a while, the, the smallest things required a ton of energy, like brushing my teeth or changing my socks was like my big activity for the day. So to be able to sit here and and be in the basement and have a conversation a week ago, this would have been unimaginable. There are lots of people here happy to hear your voice. Let's put it oh, that thank way. Thank you. Yes. Today's show, by the way, brought to you by The Stacker. That's our newsletter where you can get more, not more updates on Paula. You had it right there from her, but updates on what's happening here in the basement. We're trying to make sure that uh, our community is well entertained. We've had lots of Facebook lives. We've done YouTube lives. Of course, we have the show, A Money with Friends. We're taking questions from people every day. Head to uh, stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacker, and you'll get an email from us telling you when new stuff's going on. But the newest stuff happening right now, we got Andy Hill here with us. We got Paula here with us. Contrary to what they say on Reddit, Paula is here with us. We got Len Penzo, so let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our headline today comes to us from the Frugal Woods blog. Mrs. Frugal Woods, our friend Liz, wrote this piece. Today, our celebrity reader is going to be our good friend, Crystal Hammond. Crystal not only 
runs the Sophisticated Spender blog, but she also uh, has this great company called So So Fab, which if you want to learn how to sew uh, and make your own clothing, Crystal knows how to do that too. But she's not doing any of that today. We'll have that on our show notes page at Stacky Benjamins. Today, she's going to read this piece from the Frugal Woods for us. Environmentalism, frugality, and minimalism, the triumvirate that'll save you money and simplify your life by Mrs. Frugal Woods. Number one, use what you have. Instead of buying the ideal consumer item for every scenario, use what you have around the house. Here's an example. Kid Woods needed a lunchbox for school this year. Instead of buying her a new lunchbox, I dug out a small insulated zipper bag I'd gotten for free from a conference a few years ago. Perfect. This approach delivers benefits in all three of our target areas. Saving money, frugality, avoiding the carbon costs of buying new, environmentalism, reducing the clutter of having an unused bag sitting around, minimalism. It's this synchronicity between the three that I strive for. It's not that buying a lunchbox would have been super expensive. Rather, it's the idea that most of us, me included, are conditioned to rely on buying new as our first option. We see that our kid needs a lunchbox for school, and our immediate reaction is to hop on Amazon, click around a bit, and have one shipped to our house. If we start to consider the broader perspectives of environmentalism, minimalism, and frugality, we give ourselves the opportunity to meet our needs in a way that's cheaper and doesn't impact the planet quite so much. Number two, buy used. Sourcing your stuff secondhand yields long-term benefits. It's cheaper. It keeps things out of the landfill. It removes the paralysis by analysis of comparing tons of new products. It teaches you to accept imperfection and it eliminates the carbon costs of buying new. For example, manufacturing, transit, packaging, and etc. Number three, don't waste. Waste creates the opposite effect. It puts stuff into landfills and it necessitates you buy more to replace what you've thrown out. This holds true for clothing, food, household goods, well, everything really. Number four, keep what you already own. Similar to use what you have, the idea here is to keep products for as long as they're operable and to fix them when they break. I'm not a wholesale buy it for life advocate because often I think buy it for life products are too expensive to justify their purported longevity. But I do like to keep and use our stuff until it's broken beyond repair. A great example, our television. We bought it for about 600 bucks in 2007 and we use it to this day. It still turns on, it still works, therefore we see no reason to replace it. Applying this mindset to everything we own is how we hone in on our triple goal. Not buying a new TV saves us money and eliminates the paralysis by analysis of buying new. Second, not buying a new TV engenders a gratitude mindset. Instead of lusting after the latest, greatest technology, we're thankful for the 13-year-old television we already own. Not buying a new TV avoids the challenge of what to do with the old TV. And I want to reiterate that each of these examples aren't in themselves going to create a tipping point for money saved or environmental impact averted. However, 
The overarching idea is that by crafting a lifestyle with these values in mind, we can simplify, streamline, and eliminate a great deal of the stress associated with persistent lifestyle inflation, consumption, and comparison. Additionally, the it all adds up trope applies. If I factor in every single item I own from cars to socks, I've saved tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of my adult life by buying used, reusing, and keeping old stuff. Number five, do consider energy efficiency. I know I just said to keep stuff and use it forever, but I'm compelled to also make the case for energy efficiency. Older appliances can be massive energy hogs, and in some cases, it'll make more sense in the long run to buy newer, more efficient appliances. Lucky for you, there's a super easy way to figure out if you're harboring energy hogs under your roof. Enter the energy monitor. You plug an energy monitor into an appliance and it gives you a readout of how much energy it's consuming. Brilliant. This is how we determined our old fridge freezer was sucking down electricity like a warthog. We unplugged that hog post haste and bought a brand new inefficient chest freezer. Number six, drive smart. A small efficient car is a prime illustration of the intersection of frugality, minimalism, and environmentalism. It's better for the environment, it's cheaper because it's small, it costs you less in gas. I'm not saying to go out and buy a new car, but the next time you need a car, consider energy efficient hybrid and electric cars. It's also true that if you focus on quality and buy a well-maintained used car, you can drive that car for a very long time. Our hybrid Toyota Prius, which we purchased used, is 10 years old, has 144,000 miles, is still going strong, and we plan to drive her for as long as she'll run. Number seven, do without. Doing without encourages us to access our creativity and reduce our clutter. For this, minimalism is my guiding principle. After all, it's easy to get a lot of stuff for very cheap or free, hello garage sales and the side of the road, in a way that's environmentally compatible, keeping stuff out of landfills. But it's not cheap from an emotional perspective to have a ton of stuff in your house. A cluttered, overcrowded house induces stress. At least it does for me. One way to eliminate the need to constantly organize, reorganize, and clean is to have less stuff. I'm getting better at this, but I still have a hoarder gene embedded in my psyche. I have an instinctual urge to collect resources just in case. My hoarding mentality comes from a place of fear. Fear that I won't have what my family needs, Fear that an item might not be available in the future. Fear that I might be passing up the deal of the century at a yard sale. I'm slowly reforming this mindset by continually purging our stuff. Last summer, I gave away about 70% of my wardrobe, maybe more, which gave me incredible relief. I no longer have to store, clean, and fret over these clothes. I wasn't wearing most of them anyway, so why was I hoarding them? I donated them to friends, to the hospital for patients to wear home, and to the homeless shelter. 
someone can now wear the clothes that were doing nothing but causing me stress. I still struggle with this one and we still own way more stuff than we need. But every year I come closer to reorganizing the fear undergirding my hoarding tendencies and I fully acknowledge the stress that owning a lot of stuff brings me. Number eight, donate, don't trash. When you're ready to part with stuff, don't throw it out. Other people will be happy for your hand-me-downs. Join your local buy-nothing group, swap baby stuff with friends, drop bags off at the thrift store, or look into recycling programs such as for broken electronics. Or find a toddler near you. They freaking love electronics that are broken, says the person with two broken cell phones currently in heavy use by two in-house toddler CEOs. I am not the most environmentally conscious person on earth, nor am I the most frugal. I'm obviously not the most minimalistic. Also, I'm not the most glamorous. But none of that matters for today's discussion. We're on an imperfect journey together, you and me, and I think the key is an ongoing thirst to learn more and to do better. I found this piece really interesting, guys, because especially at this time when a lot of us are at home and if you're lucky enough to be healthy, uh, you've got a lot of time to think. And so I thought there was a lot of a lot of interesting stuff in here. Let's let's just take these in order when Liz talks about the tactics of frugal, minimal environmentalism. Andy, first of all, use what you have. And I know with kids, your kids age, at least when my twins were your kids age, I felt like we were throwing stuff out all the time. <laughs> like we were, we were constantly this consumer engine, whether we wanted to be or not. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's the way my, my wife and I are both, uh, I guess we want to be minimalist. We have the, the, the desire to be. So yeah, we, we do ask ourselves those questions and it's something that I think is a great tactic, you know, before you hit the buy on Amazon or buy anywhere at this point, can I reuse it? Can I reuse something I already have? And I liked how she used the idea of, hey, I went to this conference and I used the, the lunchbox for my kid instead of the, the bag. Or better yet, can I buy it used if I can't reuse or if I can't use something in my house? So having those sort of levels of, can I use something I already have? Can I buy it used? And then maybe, I guess when the, when the doors open, can we buy local? You know, that might be a cool way to, to look at it at the next level. Well, thinking about, Paula, what Andy's saying, I think about that with my things that I have now that I'm not using even. If I'm not using it, why wouldn't I give it away or sell it so that somebody else can enjoy it? Yeah, exactly. I think that used items are one of the greatest ways to protect the environment. It's, like, it's that perfect combination of, you know, you can buy a used item for less money and it's also better for the environment. And likewise, you know, if you can either sell items or donate it and get a, a tax write-off, or even if you don't, just donate it and feel good about yourself, you know, feel don't give it to somebody that you know. It's just one of the best ways to to reduce the amount of products that we manufacture. Because even though there are products out there that are made in sustainable ways, uh, which are fantastic. If you can reduce the total number of products that need to be created in the first place, that's going to have a much bigger environmental impact. Len, it's funny because I don't I don't really consider myself an environmentalist at all. I, I just don't like having a bunch of stuff sitting around that I'm not using. I, maybe it's more aesthetics for me. 
No, I, you know what? I'm the same way, and, and I do it to a fault. I get rid of things even that are remotely I don't think I'm going to use, and then I've been caught before saying, where's that uh, you know, that can opener, that electric can opener I wanted to use? Oh, no, you gave that away a long time ago, and I'm, that's, a, that's a lame excuse, but a lame example. But, yeah, so I kind of go overboard, whereas the honeybee, she's actually on the opposite end. She has – she has her homework from seventh grade still in our uh, closet. So just in case you know that, you never know when that's going to come in. <laughs> Maybe. Who, who the heck knows? Next thing well, I'm on- thinking I might take that and sell, go to her junior high school and sell it, see if the kids want it. You know. <laughs> Next- oh, that's a good Old idea. Test, oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a moneymaker right there. There's a market for that. Hey, I think yeah, you're right. Andy, on uh, Liz's next point here, buy used. She talks about buying used things. When our kids were young, we actually had to kind of experience this ourselves. At first, we were like, no, 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 no. Our kids aren't going to walk around in hand-me-down clothes. And then I don't know what age they were. We're like, hell yeah. (laughs) Finally, have you guys gone through the same thing? We go through seasons. Like at certain points, we're like, oh, let's get them some clothes from the store. And then other times we're like, well, let's get them a nice name brand something. But, you know, if we go on Facebook Marketplace, you could probably find that nice North Face coat or whatever, something nice for your kid for, you know, an eighth of the price if you really look at it. So we like the idea of, you know, dressing our kids comfortably, but also if we can get a deal. That works out well. Yeah, but that's an interesting thing you say when you say North Face. I just think about something that's quality. Yeah. But, 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 but used. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's when we're, when we're looking at that stuff, you know, I don't really get into clothing shopping as much as, you know, my wife does. She, she cares a little bit more about the brand names because they do have some of the quality, but if we can find that middle ground of being able to get the great brand names at a lower cost, that's when we're both happy in our <laughs> relationship. <laughs> then everybody wins. Len, your kids are older like mine are. Did you guys do use clothes shopping? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we bought some too. And you know what else we did? We, for our neighborhood, the neighborhood shared kids' clothes, passed them down from, you know, we had some of the older kids and the first kids in the neighborhood, but we would give our, our daughter's clothes to our neighbor who had three daughters. So um, we did that as well. So yes, absolutely. Where does then, Paula, something like buying in bulk fit in all this stuff? Oh, I think buying in bulk is fantastic. As long as you buy things that you actually need and that you actually are going to use and where buying in bulk can go wrong is that it's easy you know when when you walk into a target you walk in for just one item and then you walk out with like 37 items and the same thing can happen with costco you know you walk in for just toilet paper and then you walk out being like of course i need 72 jars of prego spaghetti sauce <laughs> And then you end up with all of these bulk items that you never actually end up using. So that's the thing to be cognizant of. It's really easy to overdo it when you think you're getting a bulk deal. I've heard that joke, Andy, and I don't know if it might have been from you. Are you the one that calls Costco the $100 store? Like there's the dollar store and then the $100 store? And Costco's 100. No, you- but I like that. And, and conveniently in our neighborhood, they're right next to each other. There's they a dollar are. store next to Costco. <laughs> they are. Spend one buck and one and a hundred bucks. You can't get out of there without spending a hundred bucks. Absolutely. You know, she brings up as a point here, Len, energy efficiency. And I've got this furnace in my rental house that just goes and goes and goes. And I'm sure it's not the most energy efficient thing, but man, is it easy to repair And because of that, our furnace technician says, if we ever upgrade this thing to a really high efficiency furnace, 
it's not going to last as long as this old war horse that I have now. Like I'm going to be changing it more often. So then I wonder, is energy efficiency where, what I should be thinking about? Should I be all over the environment on that? Or do I stick with the thing that's worked for me so far? In that case, I think I would stick with what you got. That's I would. You know, my house as well. When I first moved in, we were warned by the inspector that we had the Yugo of HVAC systems, especially the furnace. But that thing lasted us until I finally had to replace it a couple of years ago. That thing lasted us 19 years. Yeah. So it was amazing. It yeah. just went and went and went. And the guy, the guy, when he told us, the inspector, he goes, oh, he made us feel like that thing was going to break down at any time, but it didn't, it kept going. And you know, if you, if that thing, if you think is inefficient, it's on all the time, you might want to check things like, you know, what's causing that to go on. It could be, you have drafts that you can be see, you know, sealing your windows better or something like that, insulating your, your roof, your uh, attic. So we had, we had something like that when we bought our most recent house, we moved in and we had a little bit of trouble with our AC units. We had a guy come over and say, uh, you know, inspect it and look at it. He goes, oh, yeah, you guys are going to need to replace this whole unit. It's done. And then we had a second guy come in and said, oh, no, you just need to spray this little liquid in there and it's going to fill in the pipes and it'll it'll just, you know, it'll it'll at least help you for a couple of years with the problem. Uh, seven years later, it is still working just fine. So <laughs> yep. sometimes little fixes like that that are that the guy didn't even charge us to spray the phone, the whatever he sprayed in there. And it's still working seven years later. So, Yeah. Yeah, ride that puppy till it dies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what did you guys think when when she wrote about driving smart? I mean, a lot of people now working from home, Paula, maybe we don't need to drive at all as much as we thought we had to. Yeah, I mean, it, cars create a ton of pollution. Plus, nobody enjoys being stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic, and traffic in basically every major city is terrible. So the more that people can work from home the better in terms of cutting down on that on that car commute. I feel very lucky I haven't had a commute since 2008. I haven't really had a commute ever. Even when I was working, um, even when I was a, a salaried employee, I lived walking slash bike riding distance from the newsroom. So I've never been somebody who's like faced that dreaded daily commute. And it just not just in terms of the environment, but also in terms of the toll that I imagine it must take on your psyche. That's got to be brutal. Yeah. I mean, some people, we get emails. You get emails. Well, I'm sure you do too, Andy, about people that listen to you during that long, huge commute. I think some some communities are really set up well for not commuting much. But Len, I think about Los Angeles and I think that's that's got to be commuter hell in America. Uh-huh. When I first started my job, I was leaving for work at seven in the morning. And here I am 33 years later, 34 years later, to beat the traffic, I now leave home at four in the morning. Oh. Four, so, so over 33 years, yeah, just to keep ahead of the traffic. So in 33 years, you know, gradually it'd be every five or six years, I'd move a half hour earlier. So here I am now, it's four in the morning when I wake up. So just to keep my commute as painless as possible. And Andy, once and it sucks. Yeah, and I tried to do the same thing back when I when um, I got excited one time going to Chicago because we didn't use a car the whole time we were there, and I thought, you know what, we've used between the bus, the L, we've used. I didn't need a car, so I decided I was going to take the bus to work. By the way, it was six miles to my work. Taking the bus to work in Detroit, six miles was going to take me four and a half hours to get there. Wow. Oh my god. 
Wow. I believe that. I completely believe that. We do not live in a public transportation friendly zone at all. No, not at all. It's one of those things. We've looked at our cars and we do not have the most energy efficient cars <laughs> right now either. But we're thinking, okay, it's probably better for us to hold on to these cars than it is for us to upgrade at this point because we don't really have the selection of what's out there for energy efficiency. We want to get an SUV, but there's not a lot that's out there right now. So again, like the air conditioning unit, I think we're just going to hold on to what we have until it explodes. Maybe just keep putting that, that uh, fluid into the pipes or whatever we need. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Paula, do you have a car? I do. Yeah. I actually have two cars. Long story there, but I very rarely drive them. That's what I was thinking. If my understanding of your travel schedule is you rarely need a car. Yeah. I mean, I work from home, even pre-pandemic. I've worked from home for many years. It's funny, like the the lifestyle that a lot of people are now experiencing in quarantine is basically my normal lifestyle. All that's changed is that I don't go to the grocery store and I don't go to the gym. But uh, even the neighborhood that I live in has a bunch of restaurants and bars that are walking distance. So really, I only use a car to go to the grocery store or the gym or to travel like out of town. I want to ask one more question about this piece. When she writes about needs versus wants, I had an interesting conversation a few weeks ago on the show with uh, Jean Chatsky from her money and the today show. And she's not so sure about this needs versus wants thing, because for some of us, something might be a want, but for somebody else, it's a need. And as an example, we talked about a friend of mine who really feels A lot of her self-confidence comes from the time that she spends in the morning applying makeup. And for a lot of people, they'll say that, well, you know, makeup is definitely a want, not not a need. Where do you guys come down on this needs versus wants thing, Andy? Yeah, I would say, like you said, it's very personal. I mean, everybody's situation is different, what they define a need versus a want. You know, there's lots of things that we define as parents that we need right now. We need some summer camps in our lives, (laughs) especially after this coronavirus quarantine season. We need a little bit of help with the children. So, um, yeah, and also maybe our needs versus wants are going to change after this whole COVID-19 thing where we're going to decide you know, actually, we could go with a little less during this time frame, and maybe we don't need as much as we needed before. So, yeah, there might be a turning point in needs versus wants after all this is over. Have you found, Len, any of that changing for you guys during this whole thing? Any of what? Just what changing? Well, Andy changing need versus wants, right? I mean, thinking oh, through what do we yeah. need? What do we want? <laughs> well, I, you know, ironically, there's some things... <laughs> Like toilet paper, that's a uh, <laughs> that, that's kind of gone from a a need to oh a want. Uh, I'll, there's always other options. <laughs> Getting inventive with your needs. Yeah, so there you go. So that changes. Hey, but I think what Gene's trying to say is it's okay to have wants. You can't. You know what I'm saying? I mean, people have needs, people have wants, and wants aren't all bad. It's okay to have some wants within reason, within, you know, as long as you don't go overboard. Paula, has this made you rethink anything? Oh, geez. Um, You know, it's funny when the, before I got sick, when the pandemic was starting, I, I wanted to stock up on food and Amazon was more or less sold out of everything by that point, Amazon Pantry. And so I ordered whatever, uh, basically whatever was available and forgot about what I'd ordered. And then this giant box shows up in the mail about a week ago um, that my neighbors brought up for me. 
and it's got like six jars of peanut butter and jelly, like a bag of Thai cashews, a bunch of cartons of coconut milk. Like clearly I just went through the Amazon list and got whatever was available. <laughs> None of it makes any sense. It's like, no wheatgrass. <laughs> no, this, this food is just like clearly designed to be like sustenance. Yeah. One step away from starvation, whatever is available. <laughs> it's some of those those uh, photos I've seen of the grocery store during this whole thing, like saying if the grocery store is empty and this one frozen food is still sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the, can, pizza. The, the canned lima beans are there's plenty of those, but there's nothing else yeah. besides that for canned yeah. veggies. I would rather starve than have those. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> My favorite, I saw a picture of somebody who had a shopping cart with like 12 bottles of Thousand Island dressing. And this, <laughs> this woman was like, what is he going to make? Are you worried about starving and you're just going to eat the Thousand Island with a spoon for calories? <laughs> People are going on animal reaction right now, I think. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, takeaways. And Paula, we'll, we'll start with you and we'll have our guest of honor go last. Uh, I'd say the, the big takeaway from this article is to think about uh, not just frugality, but also environmental impact. And if you can get something used or uh, repurpose something, you know, that has that double win for both your wallet and the environment. Len? Uh, well, I guess the basic point of that was, you know, frugality and environmentalism and uh, even buying used stuff. It all plays together. They all play play with each other. They all work together. Andy? Yeah, I'd say for me, if uh, the next time something pops up where I say, I need that or I want to take a look at buying that, I like going through sort of a levels of, do I have it here at the house already? And if I do have it at the house, use it. And if I don't have it at the house, can I buy it used? And then, you know, maybe there's levels up from there. And I like the combination of frugality and minimalism. I think it's having that ability to kind of walk through those levels before making those purchases is a is an aspirational level for me. Well, you've probably been spending a little more time than usual on your phone lately. And someday, rumor has it, we might go back into stores. Wouldn't that be weird? Well, today, we're going to talk to a company much like Cisco. It's kind of like what they talk about, the guts of the internet. Diebold Nixdorf is a company that kind of is the guts of fintech. They lie in a spot where most people don't see them that often. However, if you use any type of fintech, they're right in the middle of it. We're so happy we're going to have Devin Watson on today talking about not just the future of shopping for many of us, but also the present for a lot of us when it comes to using our phone. So I'm so happy today that we're going to say hello to Devin Watson on My Dead Shortwave. And it's our new friend, Devin Watson. How are you, man? Fantastic. Glad to be here. I'm so happy you could talk Friday FinTech with us. You guys, I think different than a lot of the FinTech companies, Devin, that we talk to, you guys are a little more in the background, you know, because we are more consumer facing, where I think you guys, I think of you as more B2B, but you're really right at the intersection. A, a lot of these solutions that we talk about every week. Tell me about what you guys do so we can kind of bring everybody up to speed. 
Sure. So you can really think of us as B2B to C. You know, Diebold Nixdorf is a top 10 global financial company. Uh, we're in about 100 countries worldwide, uh, about $4.5 billion in revenue. You know, we're really the software, the services, and the devices behind many of the everyday banking and shopping channels that people use. So, you know, from the digital experience you might have banking or shopping on the go to the self-checkout that you're using at the grocery store to the ATM that you're using outside the branch, uh, even the point of sale device that you interact with, you know, at a, maybe one of your favorite retailers. We provide those solutions. So, you know, in the branch, in the store, or online with your mobile, we're there automating and digitizing the way people bank and shop. Yeah, it's actually funny, Devin. I think about you guys the same way that I think about Cisco for the internet. Like you're everywhere. We just don't really, you know, as a customer, we don't see you a ton. Every once in a while, we'll see the name Debold, but not that often. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's uh, if you start looking for it, uh, you'll see it all over the place. But when you're not looking for it, it's one of those seamless things that just keeps running and keeps powering the way you, you bank and shop. But over 2 million ATM and checkout devices globally, if you look hard enough, you'll see us about a third of the time. <laughs> well, I want to start out with banking. I want to talk about two different things. Let's talk banking first, and then let's talk commerce second. But pain points, as you know better than I do, Devin, every day you've got bank branches closing down, right? Making it harder for people to do face-to-face -face banking, which means that we're relying on devices even more than ATMs. Uh, tell me tell me kind of what you guys are working on there. What's What are the big pain points you guys are trying to solve for customers now? Sure. So in the banking sector, you know, innovation these days is really about digitizing the user experience. You know, as you rightfully observed, there is a reformatting of the bank branch networks globally. That's a global phenomenon. They're not always just closing, right? They're, they're reformatting. They're, you know, making smaller ones. They're opening different ones in new locations and I'd say right-sizing. But, you know, more than anything, bank brands have to compete for consumers' attention, right? It's a global war for the attention of a consumer. And that applies to every participant, you know, in the ecosystem so for a bank, uh, you know, they've been focused for the last several years on this vision of omni-channel, which for many bank brands meant taking their branch experience, their online experience, their mobile experience, and making the, those things cohesive. And that's been helpful, right? That's, I'd say, step one of the journey. But when you kind of look at what that did, it made it a better journey for a very small piece of what somebody might be trying to do. So the example I use is, you know, Joe, if you decide that you want to have Joe's famous donut shop, right? Mm. And you go to your bank to uh, open up a small business loan. The technology trend over the past several years around Omnichannel would say, let's make sure that that loan origination process for Joe is pretty seamless, no matter what channel he uses. But that's not enough to really compete for Joe's business because to Joe, opening up the small business loan is only a small piece of your journey to being a small business owner, right? You got to figure out where's the best place to put a donut shop? How am I going to run my checkout? What's the merchant acquiring I'm going to do so I can swipe a credit card when somebody comes in and, you know, tries to pay with their Amex? Where am I going to get my equipment for the back office? Do I need insurance, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the brands that can 
help you and can address the larger journey that you actually have are going to be the ones that win. So the vision that, that we have for our bank clients is to really engage that larger consumer journey, use API ecosystems in order to work with other players, right, that can bring value to Joe as he's on his, you know, small business opening uh, process and compete for that. If you look at what's happening in the retail world, that's already playing out, right? So I'll use the quick example of Amazon. They follow me every single place I go, whether it's at home with an Alexa device in the living room. I got an Echo Dot in my my little gym area. I've got their app on my phone. They're absolutely following everything I do so that whatever the need is, they can be there to try to fulfill it. That's what the leading brands are doing. And the banking industry is quickly learning from that and trying to figure out how do we also compete along all those steps of the journey to own that customer relationship. So that's the big idea. It's funny you mentioned Alexa because Gertrude, our social media manager, had a joke online recently about, you know, she told her husband a joke and she laughed, Alexa laughed, Google laughed, like everybody, everybody's listening to you. It seems like, Devin, there's a fine line between being helpful and feeling a little big brotherish. I bet that's got to be difficult for institutions to navigate those waters. So that's a key backlash. I actually use a, a tweet a screen capture of that exact joke in a talk I give to banks. And I think that's something that the bank brands have, have learned from, right? There's uh, in all technologies, there's this helpful versus creepy line that you don't want to cross. There's definitely a little bit of a pushback on the retailing side of this. You know, you're starting to see consumers uh, take their privacy more seriously, right? We have GDPR in Europe, which is, I think, the right move for protecting consumer privacies online. And, and bank brands are, are very cautious about how they experiment with whatever the technology might be, right? right? Whether it's uh, banking by voice, right? Things like that, not crossing that line. But at the same time, if you don't experiment with these new technologies, whether it's biometrics, whether it's, you know, voice banking, et cetera, you're going to be left out, right? So the, the trick is to, yeah. to learn from some of those mistakes, to be very, very smart about how you're handling consumer privacy and security, especially, but still innovate, right? But it sounds like what you're talking about, Devin, is still much, 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 much more than having a more robust banking app, right? You're talking about something many, many degrees larger. Exactly. And, uh, you know, this is something that we see as a, a long-term trend towards this kind of vision of connected commerce. A more robust banking app would be certainly just a, a small piece of that. The End-to-end -end orchestration is how I would think of it. That's really the game changer, right? Just doing one step along the way really well isn't going to be enough. And I'll give you another example. You know, right now we have a lot of pretty interesting challenger banks, online pure plays, kind of reminiscent of what we saw in the early days of the dot-com boom popping up in Europe in uh, particular has a lot of these. So there's this interesting experiment being run on pure play digital. And one of the best examples of that is Ant Financial, right? And Ant Financial, which is, you know, associated with the Alibaba group, is as deep pocketed and capable a digital organization as there is on planet Earth. Uh, a little over 12 months ago, they made a bid to buy MoneyGram, 
which mm. is an international remittance company. Yeah. And on the surface of that, uh, you would say, okay, they're trying to get into the remittance business. You know, that's smart. But if you dig a little bit deeper, I never really thought that, you know, that was a compelling explanation because from a technology perspective, they can whip up the anti-money laundering rule systems and all of that software that they need to conduct a remittance business. But what would they have gotten if they actually were successful in acquiring MoneyGram? They would have gotten a few hundred thousand over-the-counter location and a few tens of thousands of kiosk locations around the world. That gives you the biggest physical distribution network for banking services ever seen. Game-changing. Absolutely. The kind of aha moment that I talk to our clients about with that is that's a pure play digital and one of the most sophisticated ones in the world making a very bold move to get into physical distribution. So this intersection of physical and digital channels and being able to traverse the two and compete very, very effectively in either, I think that's really what the, the best brands of the future are going to be doing. I think that's exciting and fascinating, making digital more human and human a little little more digital. It's a great way to put it. <laughs> Let's go over to uh, the commerce side. I was listening to your podcast, Commerce Now, which for people that are geeks in this industry, I think I can highly recommend that. They're short and fun and kind of a view of the future. But the people on the show were talking about... Uh, your shopping cart and how physically going down the aisle at whether it's a grocery store, convenience store, wherever that uh, the shopping cart is is changing. Tell me about that, because I found this technology really fascinating, Devin. Sure. So when you're thinking about retail and it doesn't matter if it's grocery, whether it's fashion, whether it's fuel and convenience stores, all of these retail formats are in a race to digitize their physical shopping experience, right? So just like we were talking about before in the banking world, this intersection of physical and digital, super, super important. What's the one advantage that an online retailer has over a physical retailer? It's data, right? So as soon as you go on to a online web front, right, to go shopping, I know everything you're doing, Joe, right? If you go onto my website, I can see that, Joe went to this page, then this page, then this page, and then he put this in the cart, and then he took it out, and he put this other thing in instead, and then he backed up, and then he actually got three quarters of the way through the purchase decision, and then he added this other thing. And as I see that data stream, that payload of information, if you will, gives me the chance to influence it, right? So I can suggest extra things, right? I can uh, put smart advertisements around your shopping experience on my website. And some of the greatest minds of the, the last generation have fundamentally been spent trying to figure out how to get us to buy an extra pair of socks online, right? <laughs> and I say that somewhat jokingly, but quite seriously, right? The Manhattan Project of, you know, of, of my generation since college has been driving digital shopping. Now, with that advantage of the online folks, what is it that uh, physical retailers want to do? They want to be able to have that data payload. And if you just wait till the person shows up at your checkout lane, it's too late. So as uh, one of our very smart industry pundits, uh, Richard Crone says, check-in is the new checkout. So starting that shopping data payload early 
is something you can do through technology. And that can be done with some of the innovations in shopping carts. That can be done with some of the innovations in self-scanning. So at many grocery stores, you're going to start to see, if you haven't already, when you walk in, there'll be this uh, rack of self-scanners, right? And you pick one up off the rack, you associate it to your payment card and account, you wander around the grocery store scanning things. As you go on your merry way, you drop them in the cart. And instead of having to go through the checkout lane, take everything out of your cart, put everything back into your cart, you just walk out of the store. It's great. And what that does, besides the fact that made the queue shorter for you, made things easier for the retailer, now they actually have, in technology terms, a user session for the whole time you're in the store. They can recommend things. They can influence what you're buying. It's a real game changer. Yeah, everybody wins there, Devin. I mean, on my end, I get rid of the pain point of having to stand there in line to buy the stuff that I've already decided 20 minutes ago, maybe half an hour ago that I wanted to buy. And on your end, you're getting data on me. I don't really want to be followed, but I also don't want to uh, stand in line. So I'm, I'm willing to make that trade. Absolutely. It really is a win-win. And I think, at least for me, as a shopper myself, I think the innovations in in-store shopping that's digitally enabled just makes life easier, right? Yeah. Yeah. I also think, though, as a consumer, the store of the future, I got to be even more mindful of of my uh, pocketbook and maybe use those online tools better because it's going to be awfully easy, Devin, for me to put stuff in my cart and walk away with that purchase that I might not have, you know, before that technology hits. Yeah. And, and at the same time, uh, you know, if you're Christmas shopping, hopefully you won't give the kids a toy that you don't have the batteries for, right? So there's, right. there's, there's an upside right. as well. Right? That is very true. You're going to have a much better holiday season because you got all the accessories. Yeah. Exactly. Devin, uh, how can people reach you guys if they've got more questions for you? Sure. So www.dboldnicksdorf.com. That's the webpage. Uh, you can also search for us. Our podcast is Commerce Now or look us up on YouTube, Dbold Nixdorf. And we got a lot of content, uh, podcasts, videos up there. Great way to follow us or at Dbold Nixdorf on Twitter. Well, thanks for hanging out and talking about the future of banking and commerce with me. I really appreciate it. You betcha. Thanks for having me, Joe. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And did you hear that? These guys can blah, blah, blah with the best of them. Well, as you know, I never waste your time with blah, blah, blah. So let's focus on something very important that happened on this day in history. It was today in 1964 that the Ford Mustang was unveiled at the New York World's Fair. We all know that the Mustang didn't influence design as much as the El Camino. I mean, that's just plain as day. But yeah, it's probably a close second. So here's today's trivia. What was the sticker price on the base model of that first Mustang. I'll be back with your answer faster than you could say blah, 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 blah. All right. Uh, the score of this year trivia game, for those of you who are new to this, we're playing this all year long. And OG, while Len was not here last week, OG took the lead and he now has six. Len has five. And Paula has two. So, Paula, just so you know, you're welcome. We just froze your score right where you were before you, <laughs> before you got sick. 
we made sure that the list of guests, none of them won. So you could defend your own honor, you know. Nice. Yes. Nice. nice. <laughs> Back to my pre-COVID-19 nice. score. That's, that's right. You're welcome. So, Paula, do you want to guess first in the middle or last what that sticker price on the original Mustang was? I will guess last. Wow, that's strange. Uh, Andy, you're playing on behalf of OG, so you're going to get whatever happens. <laughs> so, Len, do you want to go in the middle or first? Oh, I'll go in the middle. All right. So, Andy, you're kicking it off then. So, it's 1964, the Ford Mustang. You want to get the stripped-down version. What are you paying? 12500 $12,500. Len? This is the original price in 1964? 1964. $12,000? Andy? I have no clue, man. Well, we know that. From the Motor City or something? (laughs) That already speaks for itself. Yeah, Yeah. Andy's like, what do you think? I live in Detroit? Oh, oh, wait. What do you think? I'm from Detroit? My father worked in the automotive industry for 40 years or something? Oh, my God. Uh, Let's see. I'm going to say 1999. 1999. I mean, that's not that far away from what I said. It's only 10 grand away. It's a party then, Len, when you're buying your Mustang, right? Party like it's 1999? Absolutely. Paula, there's a wide moat between the two of those. There sure is. Len, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to guess 2000. That's all right. You know what? I think I'm high. Ooh. Oh, wait I think, a minute. I think you're high too. <laughs> I'm like, we're not talking about that one. This is a family show. Right. All right. You know, the drill guys, we would uh, tell you the answer, but we're going to keep you waiting for just a second. Welcome to a new segment we call the money minute with Rachel. I'm Rachel, a certified money coach. My mama said I'd never get this job because that time they repoed my car. But who said you have to be good with money to be a coach? Not me. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so let's get down to those little brass tacks. Do you want more money in your life? Do you? Today, I'd like to help you concentrate on saving more money. Ready? I knew you could. Just like my daddy told my brother when he shot out the TV, if your aim is straight, you'll hit it every time. Look at you. You're now a money concentrating pro. And yes, before you ask, I am certified. I got it from the Southwest Bahama State University and Technical Institute Internet Degree Program. See you next time. So, Andy, it appears that you are just over $10,000 higher than the next closest bid. You got the top end, my friend. I'm the closest? I'm just saying. That that you're saying? That oh, Andy. Feeling confident? I am feeling like I'm going um, to call my dad right after this. She <laughs> probably knows the answer. I should have done that beforehand, uh, but... Uh, I think, yeah, he grew up in the 60s, so he's probably I, got that answer. I think that would have been awesome if you had just paused and said, can I phone a friend? <laughs> like, oh, wait, is this a wrong show? Len, you know, ni- against the rules. 1999, you've got everything south of that. I'm chalking up the win already. Oh, man. So, Paula, what do yeah, you think? I, I'm, 
I'm feeling good. I feel like I've got a reasonable a reasonable birth of numbers. You have a lot of numbers between you and Mr. Hill. Uh, Doug, what's our answer? Hey, stackers, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, sitting right here back again with the most non blah, blah, blah part of this stacking Benjamin's blah, 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 blah show. So I'll just jump right on it. The question was on this day in history, the Ford Mustang was unveiled at the New York World's Fair in 1964. What was the sticker price on the original Ford Mustang? While a Mustang today has a base price of just over $26,000 and can set you back way more than seventy-two grand if you include all the bells and whistles, and why wouldn't you? Back in 1964, you could have had the base model for a cool $2,368. Yeah, and you're welcome, because I bet that was the most exciting thing that you'll hear on this whole blah, blah, blah day. And now, back to your regularly scheduled boring blah, 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 blah. See ya! Oh, my gosh. Was well, thank you, enough. Len. <laughs> thank you, Len, for my victory. Oh, my I think, gosh. I think I, you know, now that I think about it, I think I purposely said that so Paula would get those points. I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's what happened. That is the nice guy right there. Uh, you know what? You got to do You got to do the right thing, right? You think Andy Hill, you think Giver immediately. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I also think I won't be going to Andy when I'm at the Price is Right getting any <laughs> price advice from him. That's right. Well, it depends on whether he's trying to help out Paul or not there, Len. Hey, Andy, how much would you pay for a uh, 12-ounce jar of ketchup? Oh, at least $473 in today's market. <laughs> How much would you pay for a pack of toilet paper? <laughs> oh, well, that, that is probably around that area. <laughs> Did you see that meme of the Costco jewelry counter and they have this piece of jewelry for $600, this piece of jewelry for like $450, and then there's a roll of Charmin sitting next to it that says $200, and it says two-ply ultra comfort, like it's all described, 200 bucks. Oh. yeah. Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass, guys, and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. You know what happens, Andy, when you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney? Oh, you learn a lot. It is amazing what you learn. A lot. You learn that over 92% of all the financial products you use every day, those are ranked all at Magnify Money, whether it is checking accounts, savings accounts, CDs, Debt consolidation loans, some people looking at those. Student loans, they will also tell you there that it's a dangerous time to refinance your student loans. Look at all the things that are happening in that market right now. But whatever it is, the financial product you use, it's all ranked and rated and discussed at magnifymoney.com. Use stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney so that they know that we sent you. And today, we've got an interesting question, guys, that came to us from our basement Facebook group. And this came from Brian. Brian said, with many people discovering they can work from home remotely, is it a good idea to try and work in a lower cost of living area in the same job? That way you'll save some money. Thoughts? Len, what do you think? I, heck yeah, you should do that. I, I, I mean, why not? Just think how much more money you can save if, if you do that and you live in a lower cost of living. And then here's another side. If you do get laid off, your unemployment benefits should go farther. So, But there's a discussion here, and Andy, I want to bring you in on this because 
I the, the one thing I worry about when people say that as quickly as Len just did, I really worry about this idea of friends. As a guy who's moved around a little bit, right? Uh, having friends and getting roots in a certain area, man, then you, you break away from those. I know we've got technology now, but that's difficult. Absolutely. I mean, setting roots in a certain spot with friends or family, that makes a lot of sense. One thing that I'd be worried about is if you're considering doing this with your current employer based on the fact that we're all working from home, this is definitely going to be something you want to make sure that the industry or your employer is down with before you do it. Because I used to work at a very old school employer and a lot of our group is global. We're all over the country, but they required us to be in the building. So in an office. it really depends on what industry you're in. And I know we're not all in the building right now and it might not be until the summertime till people are back in you know the physical locations. But um that could be a big change, and that's something you definitely want to check in with your employer on. But maybe after all this, maybe old school employers are going to be more open to the amount of money maybe they would save with not having the physical physical locations and then keeping their employees busy. Hey, there's no harm in going off. It doesn't, you don't have to do it. It's not like mandatory, but there's no harm in going and investigating, right? Going out there, if you get a chance, if you think, hey, maybe, I don't know, pick a place in the Midwest, I don't know, Kansas City, Missouri, for example. Hey, maybe that's a little more interesting. If something might be lower cost, go check it out. See if you might like it. You know, it's worth investigating. You do definitely have more options, right? Many more options. Uh, Paula moved to a lower cost living area. I mean, that's what I've done my entire adult life. My whole life, I've lived in relatively lower cost of living areas and worked from home and been self-employed. And that's a big, big part of how I've been able to financially advance, you know, because working from home, being self-employed, like working online, my income is theoretically unlimited. Like I would be making the same amount of money living in New York City or Washington, D.C. or San Francisco as I would be living in Las Vegas or Atlanta, Georgia. And so the savings between one city versus another, um, that's a big part of what's gotten me to where I am. But there are people, Paula, that will say that those high cost of living areas also come with increased opportunities. Like I look at some of my friends that are in Manhattan or some of all of our friends that are in Manhattan. And you look at the number of times that their brand gets quoted. I mean, a lot of that is mm -hmm. proximity, right? I mean, and, and I'm not throwing shade on any of these people. There's some brilliant people that are living in New York. I'm just saying if they're going to choose between somebody who's down the street that they can get on whatever morning show versus flying in Joe when I was in Texarkana, it's a heck of a lot easier to get the person who's uh, right there. I agree with that completely. I actually plan on moving to New York City after once it's safe, once the pandemic is over. I think what it comes down to is, are you in a position in life in which your priority is to save money and grow your net worth? Or are you in a position in life in which your priority is to advance your career? And those are two separate priorities. So when I was in my 20s and early 30s, the goal was grow my net worth. And now, the, now that my net worth is in a place that I'm really happy with it, now that's no longer as much of a focus. Now the focus is grow my career. And yeah, long term, that might have income related implications, but it's a different priority, you know, searching for career opportunities versus searching to maximize your monthly savings. Andy, there's another point of this that I want to get your take on, which is that a lot of people, you know, especially people that now live in high cost living areas, 
they look at all of the comforts of those areas. Once again, we'll go back to New York City. I can go see a Broadway show whenever the heck I want, right? I've got the top sports. I've got the top entertainment. I've got all this stuff right at my fingertips. And part of life isn't about, you know, I, I guess I'll take the opposite side of what uh, Liz from the Frugalwood said earlier. It isn't about deprivation all the time. Where do you stand on that? Absolutely. If you have, I think Liz might agree to, if you have the means and you've, you've taken, you know, yourself to a point where you're being very smart with your money, there's nothing wrong with using your money for things that you enjoy and going out and especially now helping out our local economy and the arts and, you know, getting things going. So I think that's a great way, you know, utilize the money that you've earned and also to take care of yourself. It's good for the economy and it's good for you. And I'm going to flip that again for you one more time, Len. I got to tell you, when I lived in Texarkana, I appreciated a lot more of those creature comforts than I did. And don't get me wrong, Detroit's not the center of the universe, but we've got a lot of cool stuff here. And I got to say, already I've been here for 16 months. I don't appreciate it nearly as much as I did 16 months ago when I first moved here. Like how much of this appreciation comes from not being in that high cost of living area where when you go there, then you, you know, you love it more. Yeah, well, it's so personal and it's what you like. You know, I've lived in Southern California my whole life. I've had everything I could ever want. You know, whenever I need it, it's here. As a result, I'm not a fisherman. I don't, you know, I wouldn't do well in the Midwest or something. I'd be bored to tears. And I've learned that from when I've gone on my business travels out there. I've said, geez, you know, I, oh. who can live out, you know, who could live out there? I couldn't do it. I'm talking in the middle of nowhere out there in the Midwest. So, you know, I personally, I have chosen to live in a higher cost of living area. Now I've been clever about it and I've worked my way. So my expenses are very low. So that's how I've kind of over time, I've made sure that I don't have a lot of debt, you know, so I've learned to live cheaply in a, in a high cost of living area. The other thing you got to look at too is taxes as well. So Paul, mm -hmm. if you're thinking of going to New York, which is probably the highest tax state in the nation, just mm -hmm. think about that with your income, right? That's also something that people have to think about. Maybe you want to move to a place with no income tax. That might uh, help increase your savings even more. But then again, you're looking at proximity. Paula is. Paula. That's what I meant. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Again, so uh, Nevada is a state with no state income tax. So Las Vegas is, is a perfect place. If you're looking for a fire-friendly city, a low cost of living, no state income tax, it's got the weather of Southern California, hotter in the summer, but you know, it's got sunshine. Like it's a great place to live from a, a financial independence perspective. But again, the trade-offs, you know, like dating here sucks. You know, it just, it, it's, it's absolutely terrible. This is not a place for that. So if I ever want to start a family, I don't think that that's going to happen for me here. I really don't. Hmm. At a certain point, like, how do you put a price tag on that? Same thing with career opportunities. Like, yeah. the value of career opportunities, the value of being able to make an appearance on the Today Show, um, it's not just income-related. It's also influence, like, the the impact that you can make in the world, the legacy that you leave, and that goes beyond money. So, again, I think the question becomes, is your objective to grow your net worth and reach financial independence. And if so, then a low cost of living area like Las Vegas, Nevada is ideal. But if your objective is to start a family or to grow your legacy, then there might be other places that are much more expensive, but that are better suited for that.
Are you trying to say to start with the end in mind? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, I think so. I've heard that somewhere That's, before. That is crazy talk. That's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks for playing. By the way, if you've got a question for us, uh, send those to us, uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. We're going to give uh, our guest of honor the last word. So let's start with you, Mr. Penzo. What's happening at lempenzo.com? Oh, the usual stuff. Just to make sure. I know it's a tough times right now economically. Uh, for those of you trying to figure out what's going on macroeconomically, I urge you to stop by on Saturdays. We have a good little community and we where I go over uh, macroeconomics and uh, kind of the other side of the personal finance realm. So it's it's the other side of the coin. It's very you might learn a lot and uh, it's really interesting stuff. So stop on by every Saturday. It's a fun time at the Lempenzo blog. What's going on at the Afford Anything podcast now that you're refiring <laughs> refiring things up, Paula? I know. Oh, the Afford Anything podcast. Um, So every Thursday, I release an episode called PSA Thursday, in which I talk about the stock market crash, COVID-19, the pandemic, like how to manage money, work, life in the midst of everything that's going on. So those are my new PSA Thursday episodes on the Afford Anything podcast. And then for the normal episodes, we have an interview with John Hale from Morningstar, who talks about socially responsible investing. Uh, we have an interview with Chris Gillibo, who is, uh, he's traveled to every country in the world. He's traveled to 192 countries. And every now and again, this guy by the name of Joe Saul Seahide joins me on the show. And what? we answer questions that come in from the audience. That is crazy talk. And by the way, somebody in your Afford to Anything community just uh, paid off their last credit card. Oh, congratulations. Which was, which was awesome. I, I know I saw that uh, just, just today. So congratulations to them. Andy Hill, thanks a ton for joining us, man. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. So you got to tell us what's coming up on the Marriage, Kids & Money podcast. Absolutely. Well, uh, once a month, I invite on somebody in our community who has paid off their mortgage early and we ask them how they did it and what they're doing with their money now. And hopefully that inspires other people to do the same thing. So I've been doing that about once a month. And as far as, as Paula was saying, we got to try to stay on top of some relevant content too with what's going on with COVID-19 and coronavirus and this pandemic. So I've been doing some joint episodes with my friend El Martinez and our Thriving Families Facebook community about you know how parents are handling this, how you work from home with kids and stay sane and you know still make a living and you know what do you do with your debt situation how do you handle investing things like that that are happening right now we're trying to bring some answers or just some you know topic of conversation so yeah you can find all that at marriagekidsandmoney.com how do you keep your kids sane and your liver intact at the same time oh man we have gone through a lot of wine in our house i'll tell you that much <laughs> i like the i like the meme that people are sharing now that says i just finished netflix i thought that's <laughs> That's fantastic. It. Yes. <laughs> I like the one with the coffee cup running on the track and field track who's handing the baton to the wine glass. And that's just like everybody's day. Drink coffee until wine, then fall asleep. <laughs> it is. I also like the one that's the, the it's it's all the days of the week just in order down like uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And they've they've gotten rid. They've crossed off the front end of everything. So it just says day, 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 day. day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it totally feels like that. 
All right. Well, thanks again. And by the way, we'll have links, not just to marriage, kids and money, but also to afford anything and Len Penzo at our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. You got it from here, Doug, blah, 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 man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from our contributors. You don't have to be an environmentalist or the world's most frugal person to save some money and make better use of your belongings. Just a little planning can go a long way. Second, how about Devin Watson? Want to do things more quickly or smarter? Just ask yourself, is there some technology that can help me with this? That ought to do the trick. But the big lesson... Yeah, I had a big lesson, but I know what you're thinking. Blah, 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 blah. So you know what? Just go about your day. Be good people. Smile. Stay a socially acceptable distance from other people and wave at them with a smile on your face and just be kind. I mean, how's that for a big lesson? Thanks to Andy Hill for joining us on today's podcast. You'll find Andy at the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast and at marriagekidsandmoney.com. Normally listen on your commute, but, you know, now you're just going to do it between the basement and your bedroom for most of you. We got you covered. Use those opposable thumbs of yours to type in stackingbenjamins.com. You'll see links to everything Andy on our show notes page. Paula Pants appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. Len Penzo appears courtesy of LenPenzo.com and ThePersistentItch.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahide, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. We don't talk about it here, but there's a question that's on Andy and Len in my mind, which is how awesome is it? You only have one mind. It's multiple <laughs> minds, isn't it? On our minds, on our mind, <laughs> be on my mind ish hour. Uh, we're all wondering, Paula, 
How cool is it to be internet famous enough that Reddit decided you were dead? <laughs> I know, right? That's that was really <laughs> surreal. Oh man, my my first celebrity death rumor. Uh, congratulations! <laughs> That's like a big moment when Reddit decides you've died. <laughs> yeah, so I was checking my email and I got a Google alert. I have a Google alert set up for my name so that if I get mentioned in, you know, like on MarketWatch or on Forbes or if a blogger mentions me, I'll be able to see it. Or in a criminal investigation. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so I get this Google alert and the headline says RIP Paula Pant. And and every now and again, occasionally the Google alert for Paula Pant will be a pair of pants that a designer has named the Paula Pant. You know, like sure. So, uh, so it'll I've, be like, I've oh, got this on... is the Jessica Pant. This is the Karen Pant. Yes. This is the Paula Pant. And so, when I saw R.I.P., the first thing I thought was Rip, and I was like, oh, maybe this is just a clothing designer, a ripped pair of pants. But then I read it a little bit more closely, and it's somebody who's eulogizing me. Um, it's someone who's like, you know, she's been such a big influence in my my journey to financial independence and really going to miss her. She she died so young. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> I did? I did? This is news to me. <laughs> well, and don't get me wrong, because obviously it was a, it's a very serious thing. And you actually even posted about how serious it is. So tell us. Tell us a little bit about this journey, because we were we were just uh, asking you about it before you we hit record. Yeah, so it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. So on Friday, March 20th, I started feeling kind of run down. I slept for like I took a big nap in the middle of the day, which is unusual for me. And the next day, Saturday, the 21st, again, I felt super run down uh, went to bed immediately after dinner at about five o'clock. Wait a minute. A Wait a minute. So far, if this had happened yeah. to Len Penzo, it'd be like a normal day. Nap in the middle <laughs> of the day, bed right after dinner. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the first couple of days, I thought maybe I'm not sick. I thought maybe I'm just tired. And that Saturday night, I walked into the kitchen and I fell. I like just got a wave of dizziness and I fell face first onto the floor and I immediately started thinking of, you know, those life alert commercials from the 1990s? Yes. Like, I've fallen on. The, that was the first thought that popped into my head. I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, yeah. And then it was the next day, Sunday, March 22nd, I took my temperature and it was 102.3. And then for the, the entire week after that, I had this super high temperature where Every time I checked my temperature, I was like 103.3, 103.7, 103.5, 102.8. Like if my temperature would fall down to the, like the 101 zone, I would consider that a victory. And then about midweek around roughly Wednesday, I started developing this terrible, terrible cough, coughing so hard that I was seriously afraid I was going to break a rib or fracture a rib. And then in the middle of all of this, I was trying to get an appointment with a doctor. I sent an email through United Healthcare, which is my insurer, to get a teledoc appointment. On Monday, they confirmed with me that I was going to get one. And then on Tuesday, they sent me an email saying that my appointment request was canceled. And then I emailed an urgent care clinic saying, hey, look, I'm too weak. To, I can't drive. And I can't ask anybody to drive me because I'm clearly very infectious. And I don't think that this is serious enough to merit an ambulance. 
but I really need to talk to a doctor. So can someone just call me? Um, and the first urgent care clinic couldn't. And so it wasn't until like my symptoms started really the previous Friday and my fever was confirmed on Sunday, but it wasn't until that Thursday, almost a week after my symptoms started that I was able to get on the phone with a doctor for the first time. Every virtual visit is just completely overloaded. The system is, you know, just for a phone call, the system's overloaded. It is weird, Paul, on that note, Andy and I watching the national briefings when they keep bringing up our county, Andy. I mean, yeah. it just, it is, it, it is wild when you keep seeing Oakland County, Michigan on all the, you know, uh, they're behind the president. This isn't the, the type of news that we hope to get for Metro Detroit or being any sort of top five lists of the, uh, the most cases in our area. Not so fun. Yeah. It, w- w- I'm w- surprised. W- That's a long time, Paul, because you said you're still not feeling perfect, right? And this, yeah. so this is 18 days. This is day 18, if you count the 20th, right, of March. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's that's a long time. Yeah, this is day 18. Like right before this, I took really strong cough medicine with codeine to like try to keep my coughing down for this recording. I'm still taking an albuterol inhaler. The thing that stands out to me most about this is I'm 36. I have no chronic conditions. I am not immunocompromised. I have no underlying health problems whatsoever. So I am the exact demographic of the young and healthy person who is likely to have only mild or moderate symptoms. So what's your blood type? AB positive. Oh, because they say, right, A is supposed to be more hit harder, right? Because I'm A negative. So Ah, it's like, yeah. 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 But yeah, like the moderate symptoms, like fundamentally what I had was just an extremely high fever that lasted for a week, you know, with body aches and, and headaches and muscle aches and chills and chills and sweats and, a, and an incredible cough. And that is all what is under the category of, a, of moderate symptoms. You know, it's not considered severe or critical because I didn't have to get hospitalized. I didn't have to get put on a breathing machine. Like I was able to stay at home and ride it out at home, but it was the most hellish week I have ever experienced in my life. So even moderate sucks. Yeah, moderate sucks. I'll just stay in the bunker. Yeah. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. And uh, I forgot to turn off my notifications. (laughs) Bing and bing. I'm coming through the mic, right? Yes. Yep. Well, not literally. But yes. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Going into our elbows. <laughs> Contagious. Right. Oh, my God. He's on all of you. Oh, my God. I hope not. <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother in law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, You can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members 
and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life, and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 